Discover FX's Shogun, the official podcast available now. Every legend begins with a story. Listen and explore episode by episode the story of war, passion, and power set in feudal Japan. Join host Emily Yoshida each week with the creators, cast, and crew in this exclusive companion podcast. They dive deep into the twists and turns of the plot, go behind the scenes, and explore the real-life history that informed the limited series based on James Clavell's best-selling novel. Search FX's Shogun wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I loved that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. This episode is brought to you by Alienware. During Dell Tech Fest, score game-changing innovations with limited-time deals on select next-gen Alienware gaming tech. New dimensions await with advanced gaming systems like the Alienware M18 laptop powered by an Intel Core i9 processor. Featuring awe-inspiring visuals, liquid cooling, three-dimensional audio with Dolby Atmos, and impressive overclocking potential. Your dream setup, amazing prices, and free shipping await you for a limited time only at Alienware deals. That's alienware.com slash deals. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. A production of iHeartRadio. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. My name is Noel. They call me Ben. We're joined, as always, with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you. You are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It is the top of the week. Uh, we're at the very end of January. Hope everybody's January went well. And we uh, linger on the precipice of February. So uh, wishing everybody well over the uh, Valentine holiday. There's a lot of stuff going on in the world, in the US and abroad and in space as well, and quite possibly in the bounds of your very own body very soon. That's why we do this weekly segment we call Strange News. Today, we are going to have kind of a, a spiritual update to our earlier episode on Ticketmaster, uh, which somehow didn't get us sued yet. And then <laughs> we're, we're going to also explore some frightening realities of uh, the, the bleeding edge of gene alteration, gene injections, and medication. You'll see what we're talking about toward the end, because before we get to any of that, we are going to turn our uh, turn our lidless eye to Ukraine, to Russia, to NATO. The conflict, the war continues, uh, even though some people in the U.S. have honestly encountered what you might call Ukraine fatigue. They, they you know, are maybe just tuning out the news. The reality is that the situation remains in a crisis point, and there are big, big things happening. The world collectively is edging closer and closer to 
a threshold, uh, a threshold that quite realistically is one of no return. Yeah, that pot of water is boiling and it's been boiling. It's ready for that pasta, you guys. Uh, I'm getting a little nervous. <laughs> Make sure to cook it al dente. Don't let it become mushy pasta. Yeah, it does in a weird way make me hungry. Wait, do you guys hear that? Yes. Yeah, is that, oh, oh wait, that, what is that's that? the alarm. That means it's time to check the old doomsday clock, guys. So let's do that. Let's see, guys. Let's just type this in here. Uh, doomsday clock. Oh. Uh, guys, we've decreased by 10 seconds. It is now 90 seconds to midnight, according to the doomsday 90 clock. 90 seconds from, from now. 90 seconds to midnight. 90 figurative seconds. Yes. But, you know, <laughs> go ahead and text your ex, just in case, just in case, you know. Uh, seize the day. Uh, Matt, we did an episode on the doomsday clock uh, many doomsday minutes ago. Uh, do we want to give people a, a, a quick recap about, about this bad boy? Sure, the doomsday clock. It's a clock. I think the last time we checked in, it was 100 seconds to midnight. But let's give the people mm-hmm. a little background. So the Doomsday clock is not a physical clock, really. It's a symbol that was created by a bunch of repentant scientists uh, involved with the Manhattan Project. It doesn't have a lot of uh, scientific rigor, as our pal Jack O'Brien over at Daily Zeitgeist has pointed out. Uh, We talked about this in the past. It's one of those things I think continually fascinates us. The real goal of the clock is to give people a very simple understanding, a vibe, if you will, of how close humanity is to a nuclear exchange or other uh, civilization-threatening catastrophe. Yeah, the existential stuff that would take a lot of us out, if not most of us, if not all of us. Check out The End of the World by Josh Clark if you want to find out more about existential threats. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely check that out. Very good show. I believe uh, EP'd by Ben Bolin. Yes. No, you know, uh, the thing about our pal Josh is very easy to work with. So <laughs> did I send some emails about the show? Yeah, let's put it that way. But uh, credit is important to me. I don't want to take credit for his work. Uh, as you guys said, it is it is fantastic. It does hold up. And it's It's great listening uh, if you're ever like, I'm just too happy about how things are going. Uh, What you pointed out, Matt, is huge because this is, I think, the closest this figurative clock has been to midnight, to the time of nuclear exchange. This change happened very, very recently, right? It was... uh, January 24th of this year, I think. Yes. They they announced the change. Yes. Tuesday, January 24th. Yesterday, as we record this on the 25th of January, 2023. Exciting stuff. Uh, <laughs> it just happened. And, you know, the, the scientists there are pointing to the things that you probably are already thinking about or actively avoiding in your daily life. The situation in Ukraine. The situation with, you know global climate change. And those are really the two major ones. And the combination mm-hmm. of those two situations for them has, has caused them to reduce the amount of time we have until we're all gone. Figuratively, as you said. Oh, uh, they also factor in uh, things about China's expansion, mm-hmm. uh, North Korea's enhancement of their ICBMs, their missile capabilities, Iran's 
uh, capability to enrich and their continuing desire to enrich uranium and India's development of its nuclear arsenal. Um, so yeehaw, everybody. Good times. Really enjoy that next meal because it could be your last. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but here's here's the other rub, y'all. Along with the change in the doomsday clock here, there were several other large announcements when it comes to geopolitics. They're all happening this week. Uh, and one of them culminated today on the 25th as we record this. So a bunch of NATO countries and a few non-NATO countries that are interested in joining up with the crew, they met in Germany at the Rammstein U.S. Air Force Base. The most metal of Air Force bases. Oh, yes. Named after the band. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. totally. absolutely. I don't fact check that. Uh, Rammstein. Uh, Duhast, and they they decided to meet at this base and discuss sending arsenals of tanks to Ukraine to fight in the battles there on the ground with Russia. Uh, this occurred on Friday, January 20th, last week as we record this, and those countries decided over you know the next couple of days between January 20th of that meeting and today as we're recording this on the 25th, they all decided they're going to, I guess, ante up some tanks. Ante up. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Which. That's a bit of a move. That's a bit of a, a throwing your hat in the ring kind of uh, situation. Isn't well, it? it's a big deal because numerous countries have already been lending support to Ukraine mm-hmm. in their fight against Russia. Um, and many countries have also aided Russia in their fight against Ukraine. In this case, it is many of the primary NATO countries that have all pledged to send real weaponry into fight. This is, these tanks aren't messing around. Uh, tanks are, you know, accredited very much so with the, I would say, quick defeat of Iraq's forces the first time the U.S. invaded. Tanks have been used in many conflicts as uh, the deciding factor. Or they have been a large part of a deciding factor in who wins a conflict. I guess the effective use of tanks. So let's just go through the list here, guys, because this is evolving as we're going along here. Uh, right now, as we stand, these countries have decided to send some tanks. Uh, Poland is sending 14 tanks. They're called Leopard 2s or Leopard 2 tanks, also known as MBTs, if you see it written anywhere. Finland, who is not a member of NATO, but really wants to be, is stated that they're going to be providing tanks or they're willing to provide tanks. Okay. Does that make sense? Um, Yeah. Spain agreed to send tanks if Germany agreed to send tanks. And then they did. And Germany just, uh, I guess, kind of (laughs) relinquished to uh, internal pressure and external pressure to send a bunch of tanks. They just... Uh, I think it was yesterday they agreed. Uh, The United Kingdom is sending 14 Challenger 2 tanks. France is sending their, I think it's Leclerc tanks. Norway sending eight. Portugal, Denmark, the Netherlands. I thought the Netherlands was neutral, though. Aren't they? Like, why are they sending tanks? Isn't that where the Hague is? They said they are willing to provide tanks. Okay. Uh, uh, Again, I think it's pressure coming from being members of NATO. That's really where the pressure is coming from. There's a lot of global pressure at this point. They're required to move as a unit. Exactly. Got it. And then today, 
as we're recording, just a few hours before we started rolling, the United States announced that we will be sending 31 Abrams tanks over to Ukraine. We're also going to provide training to use the tanks effectively and other supplies that are necessary to run the things as a battalion. Mm-hmm. What's that total number? Um, I haven't done the math yet. The 31 just got added in. It also really depends on how many actually get delivered. Yes. Because what we're hearing are some pledges. So it might be, it might be a little bit um, optimistic to, to give a definitive tally at this time. But, but these tanks will all be needed. This is not quite overwhelming force, the, uh, the kind of asking. stuff we would expect if, if Article 5 of NATO was invoked. I mean, the U.S. military alone could essentially delete the Russian Air Force, delete them from the sky. Uh, but they're not doing that because NATO hasn't gone in. I, I think, you know, we know Russia has a lot of tanks. The problem is their tanks are kind of like used car lot tanks. Yeah. They've mm-hmm. been cannibalized for parts. But there's still um, there's still hundreds and hundreds. Russia is still going to have more tanks than Ukrainian forces, even if all these agreements go through. But still, Abrams tanks, Abrams tanks, excuse me, they're um, they're super uh, sophisticated, but they can also have a lot of difficulty in, in terms of field maintenance mm-hmm. and supply chains. Yeah, and they're not cheap. No, we're but- looking at like. Over 10 million per unit yeah. just to get oh, wow. a sense of the finance. I, I had no idea that they were that costly. I mean, but it's interesting too because, I mean, Ukraine's already shown pretty significant scrappiness. I mean, this is a conflict that was thought to maybe end pretty quickly, and they've held their ground and held their territory and made some serious inroads in this conflict when we thought, you know, the, the overwhelming opinion was that maybe they weren't a match. Hmm. You're correct. Um, I'm not even thinking about this in any terms as far as is this going to change who wins the war, right? Um, I'm more thinking about this currently, at least, as big picture. What does this mean to have all of these NATO countries allied together? This is NATO joining together to send a bunch of really serious weapons to a country that's at war with another global superpower. And it feels like a major escalation to me. When I woke up this morning and I read the news, I I was like, oh, crap. Well, there's this. We're just talking about this. Mm-hmm. I mean, in terms of what does World War III look like and what does it, what would it take to make that happen? Yeah. And this feels like inroads in that direction. It's also, uh, this is also pushing NATO membership. I really appreciate the point you brought up with Finland uh, because, look, if you are consuming domestic Russian media, then you are going to hear this presented as not a war nor an invasion, but a special military operation at the request of the people living in these areas of eastern Ukraine. That is not really the case, just to be honest with you about it. But seeing that kind of aggression from neighboring countries, Finland, a couple other countries in the orbit, uh, that is enough for them to start feeling like NATO is an act now offer. And there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, paperwork. There are a lot of boxes you have to tick to hold up to the rights and responsibilities of a NATO member. But this Article 5 thing has only been invoked one time in the entirety of NATO's history, and that was after the uh, attacks on uh, New York and the Pentagon on September 11th. So this is a big, big deal. And, you know, you can 
rightly dunk on the doomsday clock all you want. I sure have, because it is an opinion clock. Uh, but not for nothing are they escalating the time on the clock. Because like you said, Matt, this is a major escalation. As imperfect as those tanks may be, and I know we've got a lot of, we've got a lot of uh, people with experience with tanks in some regard in the audience today. And you know, as, as imperfect as those things can be, when they are part of the right force, when they're combined with the right stuff and infrastructure and support, they're f-ing dangerous, dude. They are not to be played with. And the, the question then is, how will, this is something we were talking about with some geopolitics nerds, uh, how will Russia respond? Has there been any scuttlebutt that you've heard regarding this, Matt? I mean, tank for tank, they've got the numbers, yeah. but I don't think they have the tech uh, by any means. I'm, I'm going to give you Russia's response in one second, and then we can move on to the next story. Uh, but I want to give you a solid number just when you're thinking about the number of tanks involved here. Uh, Poland, which is sending 14 of its tanks, has an arsenal of 250 of those tanks that are, you know, kept in Poland, ready to go to fight for Poland as their military, right? So they're tending, sending 14 of those 250. But if you imagine the number that a large country like Russia would have uh, when compared to a country like Poland, you can only imagine that there are many, 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 many more tanks uh, that are going to oppose these NATO tanks. Um, the Kremlin... As of today, when we're recording January 25th, has responded as the way you maybe would imagine. Uh, they've come out and said that the tanks being sent over by NATO forces will burn in Ukraine. Mm. Um, Possibly the S-400, S-300 missile systems. Yes. Yeah. Basically, we've got superior things to take those out. Um, we can mm. also take them out with our, our aircraft. And we've seen over the past, I don't know, month or so, guys, in the news, we've been seeing all kinds of information about brutal airstrikes that have been occurring to take out infrastructure and other targets. So it's just something we're going to have to keep watching. I look, it's not going to help anyone or even me, but I'm going to go to the store later and buy a bunch of canned goods and just put them in my basement. <laughs> You should have some canned goods I've got some, already. but I'll I'm going to get some. a lot more. <laughs> get a lot. Get, get peanut butter, too. Oh, yeah. Peanut butter has super high caloric and content. stable. Yeah. If you're lost in the woods, you can get by with like a spoonful of peanut butter. You should see the For- peanut butter in my house. It's nuts. Also, <laughs> can I speak to the quality of Campbell's Chunky? I think it's very, very good soup. They're chicken and dumplings. Uh Gosh, it's like Cracker Barrel quality. It's very, very good chicken and dumps. Their old original motto, which was not successful, was the soup you can eat with a fork. Uh, I'm glad. Is they that like the beer you can that. drink with your mouth? <laughs> no, that's Miller Lite. It's a proud, yeah, proud that's, sponsor yes. of the show. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, that's a ben, you don't yeah. have to boof it. But uh, one, I think one other thing that we should add is something that. I think obsesses a lot of people rightly thing that we should add is those tanks are not like a final anti up right there. As we speak, uh, Zelensky's administration is fighting a growing corruption scandal mm-hmm. in Ukraine. And they've also further requested, this is the beginning of the stuff they were asking for mm-hmm. hardware wise. We're talking long range missiles. We're talking jet fighters. That is what we mean when we say escalation. This is not the first supply run by any means, but it's definitely not the last, and the bigger toys might be in play soon. 
Are you saying that Zelensky may not be the golden good boy that he's been portrayed as in the media and with a lot of help from American media? I'm unclear on that. I would need to uh, do some more research on my end. I don't want to talk out out of my neck on this, but I do know that there's been a um, like a a top Ukrainian government officials are quitting. Uh, He's trying to trying to shore up support, too. And if you know how Russia has historically worked (laughs) when it comes to the affairs of other countries, then I, I would definitely I think any of us, if we're in Zelensky's position, would be keeping a close eye on my colleagues because mm. people turn for the easiest things. That's right. It's true. Last thing I want to put here, guys, we mentioned pressure. This has all been about pressure, geopolitical pressure, right? So the United mm. States denied that Germany was putting pressure on it to say, as the U.S., yes, we'll send tanks. Germany is saying it's been resisting pressure by other NATO countries to send tanks. Everybody's basically saying, look, it's not me. It's all of us. It's together. It's we're only doing this because we're all doing it. Okay. Got it. It's not, it's not me. It's us. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. Everybody good. All right. Here's the tanks. So just keep that in mind as you're taking news in. It's all. Well, that's how coalitions work, right? I mean, it's sort of like a group think, you know, it's all or nothing. We're all in this together. Yeah. As long as it, prevents the U.S. and Russia from getting into direct hot combat. Let's not do that. Okay. Because nukes don't avoid civilians. Nope. Neither does Fallout. Hey, here's some ads. We'll be right back. Zigazoo has made me zigzag. What I mean by that is I swore I would never let my kids on social media. But now I'm setting them loose on Zigazoo. Before I found Zigazoo, I believed all social media was inappropriate for kids. But I feel great about my kids being on Zigazoo. Videos are moderated by actual people before being added to the feed. Zigazoo is a space for kids to post videos they've created and to share them with other kids just like them. And since there are no comments or messaging, you don't have to worry about mean comments on your kids' videos. And you need parental consent before joining Zigazoo. Bottom line, it's a space that prioritizes data safety for kids. Oh, but don't take my word for it. Zigazoo is KidSafe COPPA certified. So weigh everything Zigazoo has to offer. Maybe you'll zigzag too. Zigazoo, a social network for kids. Download the Zigazoo app today. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony DeLisandro. Billy's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like, da, 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple? And what else was it going to like? That's what the song wanted. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call podcast on Deadline. And we've returned with another piece of strange news. Uh, 
Fellas, have y'all bought tickets to any concerts uh, of late? Yeah, I'm going to get swifty with it pretty soon. Pretty excited about that. I think it's too late for that. I think it's too late for that. <laughs> but late. I think yeah. you may well have missed the what? boat I was going to buy tickies. them tomorrow. Yeah. Nah, nah. Yeah, sorry. Ben, I think you and I are roughly the same where we typically, if we go to concerts or events, it's the kinds of things that are more like uh, Eventbrite tickets, you know, or Mm -hmm. like uh, smaller, like AXS. AXS is a a, a ticket company that services a lot of the medium-sized venues here in Atlanta, Mm -hmm. like the the Eastern and and, uh, the the Tabernacle. Well, not the Tabernacle. They are a Live Nation venue, but another one would be the variety playhouse they use yeah i'll tell you man the last time i had to buy tickets through ticketmaster you guys remembered i got so irritated that we did an episode all about how ticketmaster is crooked <laughs> and they, and and you know honestly it is a monopoly you can read any number of things that uh, allies or proponents of Ticketmaster say. Like who are these is, people? Who are yeah. these allies and proponents? They're people who work for Ticketmaster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. one of the arguments is, I couldn't let this go. Sometimes I'll make a moray eel when I bite down, right? But the uh, the idea was that Ticketmaster, part of their service for these venues, for these promoters, these companies, these artists, is to take the blame for those other policies. That's part of their argument. They're saying like, just like a heel in wrestling, mm-hmm. part of their job is to be the bad guy. But that simply doesn't bear up to the fact when you look at all the fees they tack on for themselves, look at all the crazy uh, stuff they do to get in bed with scalpers. It's not, man, screw those well, guys. Well, it's like Live Nation is maybe the good cop and Ticketmaster's the bad cop. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, Congress allowed a merger, a vertical merger between Ticketmaster and Live Nation. I don't remember exactly when this happened, but it was a big deal. It was nigh on over a decade ago, I want to say, but it doesn't matter exactly. The fact is, this is a thing. Ticketmaster and Live Nation are... Uh, vertically integrated and a vertical merger means it's two companies that do slightly different things leaguing together. So Live Nation owns the venues. Live Nation promotes tours. Uh, Live Nation is is sort of vaguely kind of not an artist management company, but they're promoters essentially. They're mm-hmm. like the largest promoter you know in the United States. Uh, and again, they own these venues. I'm sure anybody out there that is is a fan of live music has been to a concert at a Live Nation event. They use the same vendors. They take a cut of the merch sales, you know, and if you're not into being in business with Live Nation, well, then you're not going to play their venues. And that means at a certain size of artist, there's really no alternative other than booking like 15 nights, you know, at a smaller venue, which I think is cool. Uh, Ben and I recently were in New York together and we got to see LCD Sound System play at a venue called Brooklyn Steel, which is another AXS or access, however you say it venue and it's a big venue i think it's like it holds about 2000 people but that's a lower tier of venue than the live nation venues we're talking about which typically are in the you know dozens of thousands in terms of capacity like 50,000 ish you know huge artists like Taylor Swift, for example, would only really be able to play uh, venues of that capacity because of the demand, because of just how stinking famous uh, she and artists of her ilk are and how much demand there is. 
So the issue here, the story in particular, is uh, revolving around Taylor Swift. I'm sorry, Matt, I hate to tell you, but those tickets were gone before you even ever clicked your mouse. Um, Whether that be because of pure, sorry, buddy, because of pure demand, because of pure scarcity, or because of a combination of those things and very clever hackers. We we know, you know, as far back as like Pearl Jam, you know, remember when Pearl Jam tried to take on Ticketmaster? We talked about yeah. that in the episode. Mm-hmm. They tried to do their own thing. That was before the Live Nation merger. So they maybe had a bit more of a shot because Ticketmaster didn't, I don't think, were in the business of owning venues, but a lot of the bigger venues were in business with Ticketmaster. Now, it's even more difficult because if you want to play a show at a Live Nation venue, you have to use Ticketmaster because that is their proprietary, you know, vendor for selling tickets. Um, famously, uh, recently, uh, Taylor Swift fans were crestfallen when they were not able to get tickets to see their favorite artist. Um Essentially, the demand was so high for these Taylor Swift tickets for her tour behind this record, Midnight, um, that it crashed like the Internet. You know, it was just an absolute bonkers uh, level of demand. Unprecedented. I think they sold something like some million number of tickets like in a day or or something insane. Like it really hadn't happened before. And while you could argue that, okay, Taylor Swift, if you want your fans to get tickets, then put safeguards in place so that only the true fans, you know, can get the tickets. A lot of artists will do things like you have to have an ID to claim your tickets. You can only get a certain number of tickets that are associated with your actual identity. And that prevents these, you know, very high tech scalpers. We're not talking about the scalpers of yesteryear that just, you know, bought up the tickets and then hung around outside the venues. These are calculated, targeted operations that use very sophisticated bots uh, to automatically buy up these tickets, even, you know, circumventing things like pre-sales, circumventing things like I'm talking about with, uh, you know, these these ID kind of situations, which are not widely adopted. Um, But yeah, Taylor Swift fans were understandably upset when the Ticketmaster servers crashed and they weren't able to get their tickets. Um, This has caused quite the kerfuffle uh, to the point where Congress is now weighing in the same Congress that, you know, granted this merger and lawmakers are kind of up in arms. Like they like to be, they like to have, you know, pet causes. It was even, I can't remember who it was, but uh, one person that spoke in this, uh, this hearing that took place a couple of days ago actually quoted Taylor Swift lyrics and said like, it's like a nightmare dressed like a daydream or daydream dressed like a nightmare, whichever, you know, from, from blank, blank space. Uh, that uh, is quite the banger. Really, I, I like a lot of Taylor Swift's music. But oh, the, Taylor Swift is a musician. Correct. Yes. Okay. Taylor, Swift. I'm, I'm back well, Taylor Swift is also a musician that made an interesting career trajectory in terms of like, you know, she was a very young country artist who then pivoted to being much more broad kind of like pop. And at first it was sort of more like pop country and her, her you know, famously was in legal disputes with her label. I think Big Machine is what they were called. And uh, her former you know, I guess A&R guy or manager or whatever. Point being that she lost the rights to a lot of her recordings, but not the rights to her songs. So she famously re-recorded a lot of these albums so that she could take them back. And now she calls them Taylor's version. And that's awesome. I think she's a very interesting, disruptive artist in, in that respect. But this whole Ticketmaster thing is is its own kind of debacle. Um 
Taylor Swift can't exactly change the nature of these relationships because of the, the reasons that I laid out a minute ago. The venues that she needs to be able to play in are the ones that are owned and operated by Ticketmaster and Live Nation. And it's there's a lot of, uh, of lobbying power behind Live Nation. And in a lot of the conversations I've been hearing with you know, industry experts and lawmakers even, they acknowledge that like Live Nation has massive power on uh, on Capitol Hill in terms of like the ability to kind of grease the wheels and make sure that this merger doesn't get called into question. Um, Ticketmaster, in fact, is asking Congress to help them eliminate these bots. They're saying it's not us. We're not a monopoly. You guys know that. You said this was okay. So help us help the fans by eliminating these bots. Um, And I just think that's so fascinating. They're literally saying we aren't what was that thing you did, Matt? You did a really great Instagram video about the gas companies and gas stoves with that uh, clip from Alec Baldwin. It's like, somebody's to blame here, but it's definitely not me. I don't know who it is, but it's exactly. definitely not me. So that's that's kind of what's happening. Um, there's a there's an article on RollCall.com. After Taylor Swift ticket fiasco, a Senate panel calls Ticketmaster a monopolistic anti-hero. So now there is, you know, uh, these pet kind of causes that I was talking about uh, against Ticketmaster. But we have Ticketmaster saying, uh, help us get rid of this bot problem. It's not our fault. We need help getting rid of these bots. They're too, um, they are too uh, sophisticated. There's nothing we can do to fight against them. 1.5 million people signed up as legitimate customers uh, and over 14 million people, entities, let's just say, hit the site when the tickets went on sale. Uh, we don't know how many. It's the same thing with Elon Musk and Twitter saying there's too many bots. We don't know how many of these users are legitimate, but we know it's a lot. Um, and now Live Nation president and CFO Joe Burke told spoke to the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, saying that, OK, we learned a lot. We had we had an issue. It was a described as a bad user experience um, or whatever, a bad end user experience. But it was not our fault. It was the bots. So we need Congress to help expand the Bots Act uh, in order to increase enforcement of these bots. But is that really Congress's job? Like, shouldn't the, 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 the ticket vendor have the tech in place to prevent these things or change their model in such a way that maybe doesn't favor them just selling as many tickets as possible and make it a little more in favor of actual fans and actual, you know, humans getting these tickets? It's Congress's job to uh, create legislation. <laughs> That's a short phrase with a lot of stuff in there. I like that you pointed out pet causes. If you're being a bit cynical and Machiavellian about it, you could say uh, being associated with fixing the Ticketmaster problem is a great way to get young voters, right? right? I'm sure Especially quoting those Taylor Swift lyrics. <laughs> at play there, yeah. And this means that um, in, in terms of like your – your actual question there, like, is it Congress's role to do this? At what point are they overstepping their bounds, right? And interfering with the functions of a private company. I mean, it'd be different if they were an energy giant, right? It'd be different if they were, um, if they held power over all the water plants on the Eastern seaboard or something. So it's easy to dismiss this stuff for tickets, but I, I, 
because it's for, you know, entertainment. But I would say, you know, there are a lot of people's livelihoods on the line with this kind of stuff. It's a huge industry. And additionally, after I rightly dunked on Ticketmaster at the beginning of of this, uh, I I do have to say, you know, stopping those bots is difficult. It's very much whack-a-mole. You know, you have to be on the defensive. It's kind of hard for them to, like, I, I think it would be unfair of an anti-Ticketmaster person like me to say that uh, they are definitely not trying to stop the bots, because I think they are. It's just like Congress could pass a law requiring them to fix as much as they can, and it still might not fix the problem. It might just be out of their hands, if that makes sense. It totally does. Matt, just one last thing. I, I see you nodding there. Um, the thing about being a, for all intents and purposes, monopoly is that you don't really have to do that great of a job <laughs> what you do because you're kind of the only game in town. Um, so it's not even really in your best interest to make that big of an effort outside of just like, okay, a lot of the insiders here that have been talking, you know, in PR and in the press about this stuff um, are saying, yeah, what's probably going to happen is they're going to get a little slap on the wrist, maybe pay some fines and then just say, we'll do better. And then, you know, kick the can down the road. Um, And the fact that there aren't any artists at the caliber of Taylor Swift that are truly taking on Ticketmaster and Live Nation in the way that Pearl Jam did uh, those many years ago speaks to how powerful they are. I think there's one band, Lawrence, which uh, again, there was some congressman (laughs) said, look, like, like, have you ever heard of Lawrence? The fact that that's the band and that's the, the kind of spokesperson for this anti-Ticketmaster rhetoric speaks volumes because I've never heard of Lawrence either. No shade to Lawrence. I'm sure they're great. But Matt, what, what do you think about this? I mean, you're a musician, music fan, you know, like what is the alternative? I don't know the answer. I think the only alternative is you do what Louis C.K. did a long time ago and you sell tickets exclusively on your website and you don't get to play the places that a large company says you can't play because you're not Mm -hmm. selling tickets through their platform. I think that's the only way to do it. You have to have enough big names who decide to go that route and to take on those costs and that effort and, uh, then you could fight build it. a new sandbox. Yeah, you, you yeah. have to build it's an true. alternative alternative system. Yeah, that's the only realistic way. There's obviously probably an episode in this as well, um, but I will wrap up this segment with a quote from Diana Moss, uh, who spoke to Vox in a recent article. She is the president of the American Antitrust Institute, who have a very vested interest in breaking up monopolies and just, you know, you know, bringing these kinds of issues to light. Uh, Live Nation Ticketmaster is probably one of the best examples of a modern day monopoly that blankets the live entertainment supply chain. The wingspan of the company is enormous. It extends from artist management. So, yeah, there is artist management live nation through concert promotion through venue management down to primary ticketing and now of course secondary ticketing oh we didn't even talk about their whole dynamic pricing thing like like Ticketmaster has this thing that gauges demand and just changes the price of tickets like the airlines do with plane tickets so you've seen all these big you know uh, media backlash kind of like stories where oh gosh the boss you know Bruce Springsteen tickets are $5,000 that's because the demand is there so 
so it gauges the demand and, and prices the tickets accordingly. Gone are the days of like the ticket is this price and that's it. Now it's like very ephemeral. You don't really know what's going into that, but it is this dynamic ticket thing, which is pretty new. Probably them trying to regain some ground after COVID, um, frankly, but it's totally messed up. So t- to continue, secondary ticketing all the way down to the consumer facing fan markets. We have a monopoly that covers an entire supply chain. So take that for what it's worth. Give it a thought. And uh, we're going to take a break. Come back with one more piece of strange news. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zigazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Zigazoo is moderated by real live people who review content before it's posted on the feed. (laughs) I especially love the dance challenges. So much fun. Oh, and there's no comments or messaging, so you don't get any of that negativity that's all over other social networks. All my friends love it. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Uh, that's great, but I wouldn't be doing Zigazoo if it wasn't fun. She would not be doing it if I didn't think her data was safe. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Billie Eilish and Phineas O'Connell, they're with us today on Crew Call. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro. Billie's vocals. It was automatic art. You know, I had to like choose a more challenging route than just like da 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 da. You know what I'm saying? Like it could have been like easier. And a lot of people have asked me like, how did you choose to have it be so soft and like so simple and what else was it gonna like that's what the song wanted thanks for listening to this episode of the crew call podcast on deadline and we have returned think of this uh this very end of our strange news segment this week as um the lobby of a large disturbing mansion of thought and reality we've talked in the past uh my favorite old thought experiments the ship of thesis, right? Where if you take a ship and you uh, fix it over time and repair it, eventually there may be a point where none of the original pieces of the ship are there, but you're still calling the ship the same thing it was. How close are we to that happening with human beings? I mean, it already sort of happens because cells die and cycle out. This thing I really wanted to open our conversation with is um, genetic editing, gene editing. Talked about it a little bit uh, in the past. Uh, Definitely talked about CRISPR, which is one of the most famous uh, proprietary aspects of this out here. But there's been a lot of news that's not getting a ton of national coverage about breakthroughs in gene editing. Right now, as we speak, there are breakthroughs with human trials. They got past rodents uh, where they're discovering ways to address very rare, dangerous 
genetic conditions involving the liver. Uh, one of the things that's been grabbing a lot of attention recently, not as much as it should, is anti-aging gene injections that can essentially rewind your heart by a decade. And they did it. They did. They did it because they found mutants. This is like I know I'm doing a comic book thing recently, but they found a mutant gene in what people that you could think of as super fit. They're called super agers, right? Uh, And you can inject this into other people and reverse the decline of heart performance, especially if they're elderly. This has already happened. You inject this into failing heart cells, it regenerates them, and it makes them function as though the heart itself is 10 years younger. This is due to a variation on the BP1FB4 gene. People who carry a specific variant of this tend to live longer. They tend to have fewer heart problems. Uh, The story starts with the University of Bristol. Uh, They injected Okay, this is going to sound scary for anybody who's already a little bit uh, wary of (laughs) vaccines and injections. Here's what they did at University of Bristol. They took this mutant gene, and it really is a mutant gene. They put it into a virus as a vehicle, a harmless virus. They kind of Trojan-horsed it, if you will. Then they injected it into elderly mice first, and they said, oh, holy smokes, Uh, (laughs) these mice... Their, their hearts just got 10 years younger, or that's what it would have happened if they were humans. They weren't that elderly. These are what does that like look like, though? Like, S- super, it's weirdly sexy. <laughs> but I mean, it means that like it literally reverses the course of aging, and you can see that physically? It, uh, specifically, it, when it triggers that kind of cardiac regeneration, the heart starts generating new blood vessels, mm. restoring previously lost functions. So things start getting kind of unblocked, coupled with an, uh, a reasonable amount of exercise, some kind of regimen, right? Maybe a couple dieting pro tips. Uh, this can, no fooling, extend someone's lifespan because it, what it's doing is it's giving a different version of that biological clock that people have. And lifestyle plays a huge role in aging, for sure. Uh, but genes are your baseline, and they determine how you know how long you have in this particular stretch of existence. Can folks like you or I afford this uh, type of treatment? <laughs> We're going to get to that toward the end. Okay, so, cool. I love this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These things are happening concurrently, and what we're seeing is like right now, you know, there's a lot of pop sci reporting that's getting this wrong. Uh, Right now, it's not quite to the level of uh, injecting someone to have an instant change across the board. Because we have to remember that because the genetic code is incredibly intricate and interlocked with all these things, it's like uh, if you've ever, here's what it's like. It's like if you've ever walked into a really big house and it's unfamiliar and you have light switches that operate multiple things, then you turn on, maybe you flip one switch because you want the uh, particular light on in the kitchen, but that turns on the kitchen and the hallway. And then you hear something on the second floor start going. So you don't know what we don't know fully yet. Current civilization doesn't know what one change can do 
to the rest of the game. They don't, they know there's a, a domino butterfly effect, but they don't know which dominoes knock which other dominoes down. That's why the research might seem kind of slow to a lot of us non-genius geneticists. But what we are seeing is that if you very carefully narrow your scope and you target very specific things like hereditary angioedema, that's a rare immuno or immune deficiency, then you are going to be able to extend people's lives for possibly decades and potentially, spooky as it is to say, potentially much longer. But back to my question, uh, yeah. <laughs> where, where can I get, where, where can I get this? Is it this like is a the, Sephora? This is the setup. You got my attention. Yeah. Now you have my, the other thing. Not uh, possibly yeah. your paycheck, right? <laughs> yeah, well, so sure. this is the issue. The, um, the issue here is that this opens the door for a lot of things that humanity is simply not prepared for. Yep. Economy of scale argues that inevitably these treatments could will improve, right? Barring some catastrophe, some doomsday clock level thing, they will improve. They will also become more reliable and uh, less expensive unless there's another intervening variable. The dystopian science would say, or the dystopian futurists would say that there's going to be a world where the new marker of privilege of being a have is that you simply live much, much longer. No matter how cheap the treatment might actually be, there might be a way that it is repressed from, say, 90% of the population. And the argument would, of course, as it always comes, it would be a greater good argument. We can't have this many people living this long. There are some people that will provide a greater service for the world, <clears throat> me, because I'm at Davos, and there are some people that just shouldn't be eating for that many decades and Oof. drinking that yeah. uh, increasingly low uh, reserve of potable water. No, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, um, it's just I, 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 I think I mentioned in terms of another conversation that I've been rewatching Silicon Valley, the Mike Judge TV show. And I'm on the season where um, the guy that's like the kind of Zuckerberg, like head of Hooli, the Google type company, he's got a blood boy. <laughs> It's literally a healthy young man who gives him weekly blood transfusions, which we don't even know if that actually does anything, but it's sort of like maybe it does. So let's just go with it because that's the best we've got. But we've seen the feeding frenzy of like curative and or, you know, helpful medications that are scarce, like uh, vaccines, you know, when it was like, who got those first and who cheated the system to make sure they got those COVID vaccines before anybody else? Oh, the super rich. So can you imagine? This is like the fountain of youth we're talking about here. It's It's been sought for, you know, generations. Potentially. Yeah, potentially there could be there could be something. But again, we have to go back to unintended consequences. How long can your average garden variety human mind exist in a cogent state, right? Fixing the body may, may do a lot, but it may be the same thing as giving a car a fresh coat of paint every decade and never changing the oil. Well, this like, doesn't apply to neurons and neural pathways. It doesn't like fix your brain back 
a decade as well? It depends. No, because you have to you have to narrow the scope right now. Now, possibly sure. one day there might be a panacea thing, but this brings me to another dystopian thing. I mean, we're going to end on a utopian thing. Don't worry, it won't get cool, too dark. Cool, but cool. another dystopian thing would be the idea of certain modifications becoming illegal. Maybe because if everyone had it, there'd be simply too many people, right? Or maybe there would be a deal where for certain modifications, one has to agree to sterilization as part of it, right? Because you don't want it reproducing in the wild. Or there could be things that are associated with the military. Imagine if part of being conscripted in the new Russian empire or whatever, just for fun, uh, what if part of that involved an injection a gene editing device that would that would make you much more resistant to a lot of diseases, right? But it wouldn't stop you from carrying those diseases. So then you could become someone who's exposed to some nasty biological warfare contaminant, right? Perma spreader. Yeah, and you're gonna be okay, but now you are the, oh, the friggin' typhoid geez. Mary of that thing for the rest of your life. An unstoppable. And, <laughs> wow. And, and that sounds oh. terrible, but it's it's less and less implausible. I won't say it's happening now, but it's something humanity is on the way toward. How can a story be so simultaneously exciting and terrifying? <laughs> you know what I mean? <sighs> I mean, wow. I think it's I think again, I think this is this is an episode, but if we if we do this episode in 2023. Um, we're probably going to have to do an update in like 2025, 2026. I don't even know how long we'll do this show. We should all get our genes edited. Uh, here's, here's another one. This is my question. Though. This is the utopian, I wish it would happen question. Do you think it would be possible that some editing or modifications could be innocuous enough and helpful enough that they become considered a human right Mm. in parts of the world, like the right to literacy, the right to clean water, things like that. Yeah, That is fascinating. I I think, yeah, if it's available and it becomes like a new, I mean, but that's the, that's the question though. It's like, who deserves to live forever? Are, should we be able, you know what I mean? Like, Mm. is that really a human right or is it like a luxury? You know what I mean? Yeah, maybe. I I can see it working out the same way early childhood vaccinations work out, where Mm -hmm. if you do have health insurance, at least within the United States, if you pay for insurance, when you're on track with a child or something to get their vaccinations, they'll just get their gene editing that gets rid of some of the major problems facing American children. Yeah, I could totally see that happening. So for everybody, um, we're specifically at this point talking about what's called germline gene therapy. Not all gene therapy is heritable, right? So there might be a vaccination thing that happens after the, the child is born at some age where their immune system is seen as um, capable of vibing with it. But then germline <laughs> therapy is we give you an injection, some kind of treatment that means uh, you will have, um, I don't know, like we're freestyling here. So like uh, a gene for um, heart problems. So you'll, you'll be much more resistant to developing heart problems, like cardiac arrest problems, stuff like that. It doesn't cure them though, right? Like if it you makes already you less likely, it's a percentages. Game. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, got it. Uh, like buffing a weapon in Elden Ring. 
or Skyrim. Uh, but there's this idea then, okay, maybe a better thing would be diabetes. What if you could inject a gene that not only changes the way your body uh, addresses factors leading to diabetes, but also means that your children would have that same gene and therefore their children and so on and so on, just like the Bible saying, begat, begat, begat. How do you think the world would react to that idea? This is because vaccines are only affecting the person who is injected, not the children. I see massive blowback on that. I'd be very interested to see what, you know, like what, what a religious figure say, what a, the more Luddite among us say. Well, also, like, what if people, the super rich or whomever, start taking these just so they can eat like shit and like not, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. not actually do any of the normal things that would lead you to like living a healthier lifestyle. Is this like a cheat code? And if so, those people should be way further down the, the ladder as to who gets to get this. It should be more like people whose lives it will vastly improve and maybe have some sort of deficiency should get it first. And, and then it becomes a matter of scale. And then, like he said, it becomes a matter of scale in terms of population control. Not control, but just a a population, you know, people sticking around too long. If everyone was vampires, we we would run out of, well, we'd run out of blood bags for Mm -hmm. the vampires to drink, and then the vampires would die. That's a silly example. But my point is, like, if people live forever, we would deplete the the resources for the people that maybe couldn't live forever. That's a good point. Yeah, and then also what happens then is the... All right. The thing is that at this level of scientific innovation, there's going to be sort of a a donut hole gap. There's going to be a chasm, an interval of time uh, between which these things are absolutely possible, perhaps on a wide scale. And then the other side of the gap where we learn about any unintended consequences over uh, generations or over decades, because some of these gene therapies do have risk of um, allergic reaction, organ damage. What about uh, mutations? certain types of cancer. Yeah, well, that's why human cloning, honestly, ethics aside, and I understand why ethics have to exist, um, there's not more public research on human cloning because uh, human clones or clones in general have really crappy lives. You know, like that's, if, if you could make perfect clones, then there would be Mandalorians aplenty. To get sci-fi about it, I just watched this, the latest David Cronenberg movie called Crimes of the Future, where it's this kind of future where uh, people randomly start growing different organs that have no known function Mm -hmm. at the time, but also they're kind of mutations. And at a certain point, if they grow enough of these, they cease to be human. So I'm I'm just saying, like, this is the sci-fi kind of weirdo dystopian take, but like it does call into question, like what it means to be human and are we meant to live forever? But in the dark ages, like people had much lower life expectancy. So who are we to say what the proper life expectancy is? Well, I guess we're probably at about, you know, the baseline for it now. People that have access to the best health care and live healthy lives could maybe live to be 100 or so. Right. We should ask Chad beyond that. Yeah. Well, also, we're talking about blue zones, the uh, seven or so parts of the world where people just have a much higher likelihood of living to become centenarians. But but that is I, I, I think this is this is a fantastic point. This stuff is on the way, folks. It's already here. It is doing some very good things. But again, there are tremendous potential consequences 
that are what Donald Rumsfeld would currently call unknown unknowns. It's I that think monkey's pasta. Or Ashcroft. Yeah. What's that? Yeah. 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 And this is, this is where we're going to leave it because this is a really important question. Uh, to me, at least, I, I, I hope to all of us, what would you do if you had a kid and you had the offer of giving them, uh, giving them gene therapy that would allow, like drastically reduce the likelihood of some medical problems? What would you do in your own situation, knowing those traits could be heritable in some way? Let us know. What do you think about Ticketmaster? Uh, have, we, have we unfairly maligned them? Uh, what's going to happen when the Taylor Swift fans march on other cities? Uh, what do you think? They're scary, by the way. <laughs> They're just dedicated. Just... I like people who are passionate about specific yeah. stuff. I say that because I've never they will, been They will come for you. Me. Speak yeah. no ill of Taylor. They will I come have for not, you. I have not. I love musicians. Uh, and then also, what do you think about the growing situation in Ukraine. We've got a lot of people who also follow geopolitics. We would love to hear your take, uh, and you may end up on air with us in a future listener mail segment. If you want to do that, if you would like to open that door, then there are many ways for you to contact us. Yes, you can find us all over social media. Like our new TikTok account, whatever it is, TikTok, us, conspiracy stuff show, I think. Find it. TikTok it. Get it while it's hot and still legal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Instagram, Conspiracy Stuff Show, Twitter, and Facebook, Conspiracy Stuff. If you don't like social media, we get it. Why not? Give us a call. one eight three three stdwytk is the relatively analog way of getting in touch with us. Leave a message at the sound of Ben's dulcet tones. Three minutes is the time that you shall have to tell your tale. Let us know what to call you and that it's okay to use your voice. And then, as you said, Ben, you may well hear that voice on one of our weekly listener mail episodes. If you don't want to do any of that stuff, why not reach out to us the old-fashioned way? We are conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com. Stuff They Don't Want You to Know is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great Thank conversation. You. Are you looking to step up to a 4K smart TV? One that gives you unparalleled clarity and picture resolution? Then we've got good news for you. Because the Vizio 65-inch V-Series 4K smart TV is now just $348. With all your favorite apps built in, you can stream straight out of the box. You can even sing along to all your favorite music and radio on the iHeartRadio app. 
Looking for a smaller or bigger screen? Vizio offers unbeatable prices on all V-Series 4K smart TVs. Head to Walmart.com today and score the 4K TV you've been waiting for.